0: This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, sharing ideas, shaping policy.
1: Right. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, As you take your seats, um, everybody's very welcome. My name is Alex White. I'm Director General of the Institute of International European Affairs. And we're really pleased to um, be hosting this event uh, this afternoon with Gas Networks Ireland. Uh, Great to be working with GNI again. I know we have in the past. And uh, delighted to be able to do that again this afternoon. And thanks for uh, all of the work and cooperation that your team has had with our team in preparing this event, which I've no doubt is going to be a really successful, really interesting, and important one. And we're at a critical moment, um, although I think practically every time you introduce an event like this in respect of climate and, and energy decarbonisation, uh, you 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 can fairly say that we're at a critical moment. We're always at a critical moment in this agenda, um, but it's it, there, there's so much happening. Um, I think that events, debate, and discussion, the sharing of information, um, evidence-based uh, information, uh, is so critical to uh, deepening uh, the public debate that we need to have. And I do admire G and I um, for, of course, n- not just doing their their core work. Um, which is what you're there to do, but also being willing to encourage and foster debate and discussion about many of these issues, particularly, for example, in the area of hydrogen decarbonisation um, uh, in 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 the gas sector, and to see what can be done to contribute uh, to the big project that we have in this country, and indeed in all the countries across the world, uh, uh, in the broader context of. Uh, climate change. So thank you very much, uh, everybody, for being here. I do see at least one member of the Diplomatic Corps, but the ambassador of New Zealand. Very welcome. There may be others here. It's always a danger to particularly in in the context of um, uh, members of the Diplomatic Corps who are kind enough to to come to our events that I might miss one. So if you're here and I don't see you, you're also welcome. <laughs> and um, But everybody's welcome. And as I know, our chair will will be Uh, doing uh, will encourage you to um, to participate when the time when when the time comes but what I'd like to do now before we hand over to our chair Katrina Devereaux and thank you Katrina for agreeing to uh, to chair this event Katrina as you know is a science commentator and a broadcaster a freelance producer we are delighted to have her here but before uh, Katrina takes over I'd like delighted to introduce and to welcome Edwina and Nyan from Gas Networks Ireland to address you briefly
2: Thank
3: you. Thank you, Alex. Good afternoon, everybody. And um, look, it's lovely to see some familiar faces and, and some new faces in the audience to tell us a little to enable us to tell you a little bit more about the journey we're going on uh, to decarbonize the gas network. Um look, we think tonight's debate is a really important one, um, and we've some really interesting speakers on the panel tonight. Um look, we see our role as decarbonising the gas network as, as pivotal to achieving net zero. And it's also really important in terms of enhancing um, and diversifying security of supply for the country so look all i'd like to say is we hope and um, you enjoy this discussion this evening and um, and you learn something new about the gas network and the journey that we're on and i might hand over to katrina now and without further ado to to introduce you to
0: so much you doing A um big round of applause please for edwina and alex Um, so Falter with Cork, I'm delighted to welcome you all. Um, it's great to see so many in attendance. Um, and it is an important and timely discussion, the decarbonisation of Ireland's gas network. Um, as Alex said, my name is Katrina Devereaux, I'm a broadcaster and science communicator, and I've been telling stories about Ireland's renewable energy journey for over 20 years, which is slightly worrying Teresa and myself were saying when we start saying over 20 years, um you might see me on occasion presenting or 10 things to know about, but um it is a it's a story that's we've been trying to tell for a while and I and the discussions um are are very important and needed. Um, so I'm really honored to be guiding proceedings this afternoon. Um, and you all know, and you don't need me to tell you that, you know, the transition towards a low carbon future is not just an aspiration, but a necessity. And um, the IIEA are all about sharing ideas and shaping policy. So today we're really hoping for a fruitful discussion um, about what it will take to build an indigenous biomethane industry and create that net zero gas network of the future. And um, this event has been organized with the support of GNI and um. Um, we're really pleased that we have such an esteemed panel of experts joining us um, to, to take part in these discussions and they're all dedicated to shaping you know a cleaner energy future so thank you so much for coming and uh, maybe reserve your applause for the end otherwise you'd be worn out from cheering for them um, but we have Christian Forholt from the, who's a project manager with Energinet in Denmark, Triso Flynn a partner at ARA Partners, JJ Linton. Building office Sarah Chagas, Quiva Giblin, Commercial Director at Electrude, and David Kelly, Director of Customer and Business Development at Gas Networks Ireland. You're all very, very welcome. Be granted, boss. Um, so just light housekeeping again. Put your phone on silent. Um, our speakers are just going to kind of maybe give us their introductory introductory thoughts um, for a couple of minutes, and then we might we'll go straight into the Q and A session after that. Um, for those of you in the room, you can pose your questions in the traditional raise your hand method. Um, anyone online can use the Q and A function on Zoom, and um, you know feel free to send in your questions throughout the discussion if you're online, and we'll get to them once the panelists have shared their initial thoughts um and please do um, give us your name and affiliation when you're posing your question um and i do really encourage you to actively participate in this conversation because you know we're at this kind of crucial moment of developing this strategy and this blueprint for the future and everybody's insights and perspectives are really invaluable so um let's get the most out of this event um if you are sharing anything on Twitter, please use the handle at @iiea, and um, all of this is being recorded, so you know be careful. Um, so um, our first speaker is Christian Forhold from Energinet. He is a project manager for the annual report of security of supply in the Danish gas system. He's also Energinet's associated activities country lead for projects in India, Vietnam, and Poland and a project manager for, for EnergiNet's long-term development plan for the Danish gas and electricity systems. He has a degree in international relations and is specialised in climate dem- diplomacy and has a lot of knowledge about how to integrate biomethane into national energy systems. So Christian, with all of that long, very worthwhile introduction, um, what are your thoughts in terms of the Danish experience and maybe how some of that can apply to the Irish
2: experience? right. <clears throat> so first of all, thank you so much for having me and uh, congratulations on your biomethane strategy in, uh, in Ireland. I think it's a, it's a huge step in the right direction. Um, and it's funny when I started working with Padre David, Karen, and all the great people from GNI a few years ago, there wasn't much in my perspective, at least a lot of aptitude uh, towards biomethane development besides the people in GNI. So I really think uh, GNI deserves a a kudos and credit for for the development and to where you are now in Ireland. Um, that's that's great. I hope also that that this will mean further cooperation between Denmark and, and Ireland in uh, in um, issues related to to biomethane, whether that will be on political level or between uh, TSOs or on commercial uh, for commercial um, entities. That that that's, uh, you know, that's that's what I hope. Um, So it's positive to see that the landscape is sort of changing um, and when I read the strategy, I didn't read it, read it in detail, but I saw that the, the ambition was going to get to, for, to uh, 5.0 terawatt, terawatt hours uh, by 2030, uh, which is not in, insignificant. I think it's, it's, it's kind of ambitious, um, and as I mentioned, it's, the right, it's a good step in the right direction. Um, Ireland has a huge potential for, for biomethane, probably relative to its size, one of the largest uh, throughout Europe. And in terms of uh, there are so many similarities between Denmark and Ireland, both um, you know, in terms of size, population, area, but also um, but also strong agricultural history and agricultural sector in both countries. We also uh, both of our countries seem to always lose to England in football. So uh, there's that. Not in uh, rugby, though. Not in rugby, yeah. no. Yeah, not in rugby. We don't play rugby. So, um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Denmark we, last year in 2023. We got to 40 consu- percent gas consumption coming from, uh, from from biomethane. And that's uh, you know due to a combination of factors. First of all, over the last 20 years, um, our gas consumption has, declined, has been declining significantly. But also uh, we've uh, we've seen the development of biomethane. We've seen the development of more facilities being connected to the to the gas grid. I think right now we're probably around uh, 60 facilities in total. Um, and by this year, we, we're going to get to even more because uh, we'll have a new subsidy scheme taken to, to into place by uh, Q2, Q3, hopefully. Um, and that's really what has been driving the, this, the development in Denmark is, is the political ambition, um, having subsidy schemes and having support for, for, for both for producers, but also for uh, creating an environment where where farmers and developers are uh, inclined and have incentives to um, to engage in and develop by methane
0: Um thank you, Christian. Um we'll come to Theresa next. Teresa is a partner of very such a small room we don't necessarily need mm-hmm. for um, so Flynn is a partner at ARA Partners, a private equity firm that invests in companies that are decarbonizing the economy. She co-leads their infrastructure strategy and has more than 20 years of sustainable investing experience with extensive renewable power energy infrastructure experience, both in the fund management sector and at the operating company level. Teresa joined BlackRock in 2011 as a founding member of its global renewable power infrastructure business. And in 2019, she became global head of sustainable investing for BlackRock's alternative investment platform. And prior to joining BlackRock, Teresa worked for NTR, a private infrastructure developer across several of the groups, European and US wind, wind development subsidiaries. So Teresa, you clearly have been working and watching the renewable energy sector for a while. Um, what's your point? What, what's your perspective from kind of an investment point of view Uh,
3: absolutely so i my entire career up to the last few years has been dedicated to the electron um and a lot of folks here i'm sure have you know grown up in the wind energy sector here in ireland and it's you know been a booming space for many many years and ireland's wind energy professionals are working globally leading uh the wind power space but one thing to kind of note that the the world of industry, which is what our partners is focused on, the world of made things, it accounts for about 60% of global emissions, and it has attracted less than 10% of the climate focused capital. The big area of decarbonizing the molecule has been completely overlooked. Um, So I think there's a huge opportunity for Ireland to take everything that we've done and can be incredibly proud of in relation to wind energy, and now deploy that to decarbonizing the molecule. Um, It's interesting, in the gas network's paper on biomethane, I'm just going to quote this because I think it's pretty powerful. In 2022, the gas network in Ireland transported twice the amount of molecules as the grid did electrons. And think about all the attention that the electron space gets. We will absolutely not get to net zero unless we tackle the world of made things, including molecules. So from an investment perspective, quite frankly, it's a historic investment opportunity. and the type of capital that we manage, it's typically pension funds and insurance uh, companies. And increasingly, these investors as custodians of capital for folks who want to, you know retire with dignity or you know paying insurance premiums if, if, if there's a, an insurance claim, they need to have capital aligned with. Um, sustainability or climate oriented strategies, because at the end of the day, climate risk is investment risk. So you want to be exposed to the opportunity created by investing in sustainable strategies. And across financial markets, the fastest growing allocation are strategies oriented towards sustainability. So then bringing that back to the investment opportunity in Ireland, and I think some of the stats that you mentioned are are quite uh, significant. Ireland is in pole position to be a leader when it comes to creating the new asset class of biomethane, the 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 and one that I think will, you know, completely take over from the wind sector. We still need electricity made from green energy, from wind and solar, but back to my earlier statistic, you know, the world of made things, including molecules, accounts for 60% of emissions, and it has attracted less than 10% of the climate-focused capital. That absolutely is a huge mismatch and it, and it can continue. So from an our partner's perspective, we are looking for investment opportunity in Ireland. We wanna invest in uh, you know, developers who are developing biomethane projects. We're looking at many markets across Europe and the US as well, but I would say the opportunity here in Ireland is, is quite significant and we're highly focused on it
0: really interesting. It seems that we could be the world leaders in lots of things. We could be the world leaders in offshore wind, we could be the world leaders in biomethane, we just need to be doing it. Uh, JJ, I might come to you next. Um, JJ Linehan is um, the building officer with Chagask and together with two of his colleagues he looks after the technical property related issues at 55 locations of Chagask across the country. He's an engineer by profession with a special interest in energy use um, and in Chagask where the built environment accounts for the largest proportion of energy consumed at over 80% of the total. Um, So JJ, from a, you know, you've got your own biomethane production plant um, almost up and running. Um, but do you want to give us a sense of where you see, how you see Ireland building its um, biomethane infrastructure?
4: Yes, uh, thank you. Um, just to start, natural gas is going to be an important uh, fuel uh, for heat, electricity, and more recently, transport going forward. Uh, and Ireland has above average use of natural gas compared to our uh, European partners. And part of that is a lot of our electricity uh, comes from natural gas as there is increasing uh, targets for renewable fuels to be able to replace natural gas with biomethane is obviously, uh, you know, there should be a receptive audience out there. Uh, Chagas research over the last few years has uh, shown the potential to produce suitable feedstocks for the industry. And the research was started by Parikh O'Kiley, who was the principal uh, silage uh, researcher in Chagas. And he was looking at alternative uses for grass uh, the country can pr- produce more grass than we need at the moment, and there's obviously what was restrictions on uh, herd size with uh, with quotas. Uh, and one of the uh, one of the potential um, uh, outlets for grass was as an AD feedstock, and uh, SEI reports have have since uh, confirmed uh, that potential. Animal slurries are an attractive component of the resource mix, but forage crops are really the standout uh, opportunity. And forage crops, the, 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 the typical forage crop or, or main uh, forage crop would be perennial ryegrass. But uh, more recently, uh, red clover had been forgotten about in the country when cheap nitrogen uh, became available. But red clover as a legume that can fix nitrogen, we see as as, as, as a very important resource uh, to produce forages uh, for AD. You have to conform to a renewable energy directive. And um, you know, producing forages without nitrogen is 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 is, is part of, of of the answer. We're predominantly grassland in, in Ireland, 90%, which is not typical in Europe. Uh, Why? It rains throughout the year. We have mild winters and it never gets too hot in the summer. Um, So we can produce good good, uh, quantities of grass. But while on a dairy farm, you will be producing 10 tons per hectare of dry matter because there's an incentive to have, you know, to produce milk from the cow. The typical dry matter output is six tons per hectare. And you know, on sheep and uh, cattle farms, that's probably uh, the average uh, production at Grange. Uh, we're producing 12 tons of dry matter per hectare from red clover. So you can see the potential there to produce uh, more forages. Uh, and uh, I call that the, 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 the opportunity of the hidden hectares. Uh, the target of 5.7 terawatt hours uh, for 2030 is, is, is ambitious. Uh, but the feedstock is potentially there. If we were to dedicate land fully to produce the feedstock, you're talking about 120,000 hectares. And this equates to only 3% of agricultural land. And if you look at producing some of that on the hidden hectares, you don't have to take all, you know, you don't even have to go to, to 3% to produce the 5.7 terawatt hour uh, uh, target. Of course, you'll be using manures and other wastes to to complement that. Uh, What is also interesting, if the country has to ultimately reduce ruminant numbers to reach the targets, it's a fairly easy change for farmers to produce the crop, the feedstocks, the the type of crop that they're used to producing just to go to uh, another market. But it is important that it's economically, you know, uh, uh, suitable or or economically attractive because farmers react, obviously, to to, to that stimulus. We had a grass-drying industry in the country Which we we uh, had a very substantial grass drying industry based on large units, four hundred hectares of grassland, and uh, the output was a protein feed supplement for pigs and poultry. Uh, That uh, industry ultimately fell by the wayside because soybean meal came came available from the US and South America, and. Oil was the fuel used in Ireland to dry the grass, and in the seventies, that you know, the economics just uh, uh, went south, if you like. Um, but the experience would show that uh, for twenty-five years, grass was assembled at scale, on on you know, in the in, across the country, those were dotted around the country. So I have no doubt, but if 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 the price is right, farmers will will stand up to the to the mark and produce the the material. Uh, Just another interesting, going back a little bit further in history, uh, we we talk about 120,000 hectares needed uh, to produce the the forages. That was dedicated land that we weren't looking at trying to produce more on existing land. In 1850, there were 600,000 hectares of oats grown in the country, and we had 600,000 horses. Um, So... You know they were providing the motive power of the day. So you had land dedicated, six hundred thousand hectares dedicated to, uh, to to energy. We only have twenty thousand hectares of oats uh, today in the country. And if we if we just take a, a situation where maybe twenty five percent of the forages can, would come from hidden hectares, in other words, boosting the output on existing grassland. Um, we're only looking at uh targeting 15% of the land base that was dedicated to energy production in 1850. And we'd actually producing about one and a half times the energy as biomethane that we were were in 1850. Um, At the moment, production processes of enterprise are encouraged to operate on on a circular economy basis. And AD is an ideal example of implementing that approach. Animal wastes are treated by the process to reduce emissions of methane and to provide energy in a biofinery approach, Products like protein can be extracted uh, from forages before the material is used as, uh, as an AD feedstock. And biogenic CO2 can be harvested as part of the, the biogas to biomethean upgrading process. And finally, they digest it as a biofertilizer. And all those, you know, all those uh, um, products will be very important to, uh, to, to try to make it, uh, to try to get the economics right, because that's always going to be a challenge. Gas will be, you know, natural gas will be cheaper, and unless there's, you know, uh, stimulus put in there because of the carbon benefits of biomethane or the other, uh, the other products that uh, that the other coal products that are in the system, uh, they'll all be important to make the economics correct.
0: JJ, that's really interesting. I like this idea of kind of looking back to look forward and also in terms of security of supply and all those kind of things as well. But we'll dig into all of that later. Um, Quiva, I might come to you now. Um, Quiva Giblin is a member of Electro Roots uh, Senior Management Team and leads their commercial origination and trading operations team. Um, she's worked in the energy sector for over 15 years and sits on the Council of Wind Energy Ireland. She was formerly Director of Finance at SSE Renewables, where she had responsibility for the financial activities of SSE's extensive on and off offshore wind development and construction portfolio. She's a qu- qualified chartered accountant with a degree and master's in accountancy and spent six years working with KPMG in Dublin and New Zealand. Um, so Grieva, do you want to tell us a little bit about the work that's kind of happening right now kind of thing?
5: First, thanks very much, Katrina. Lovely to to be here today. Um, As Katrina mentioned, I work for a company called ElectroRoute. We're an energy trading company based here in Dublin. We have a very very much focus on the renewable sector, providing a variety of different trading services to renewable energy assets, whether that's on the power side or the gas side. And some of our clients come from asset owners who own renewable projects and are looking for offtake solutions and risk management solutions for their projects. And other clients we have are on the corporate side who are looking to procure clean green energy to decarbonize their own energy consumption. I'd like to tell you a little bit about the company. It was founded 13 years ago here in Dublin and um, a, lot of the, a lot of the founders worked in the utility space and they saw the opportunity to create a utility style trading function to focus on the, 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 the growing uh, need for that type of service in the renewable sector the company was originally you know irish owned and about 5 years ago mitsubishi corporation invested in the company so we're a subsidiary now of mitsubishi corporation we trade across about 15 different markets here in europe and we have a growing business as well in japan our purpose as a company is to make net zero a reality and you know for, for us we're really passionate about the the drive to uh, decarbonize the the, the irish uh, economy as well as um, kind of all, all we can do around all the different markets we operate in. I laughed when, when you said I was over 15 years. I think I need to update my biography because yeah. unfortunately it's <laughs> at least 20 now. And like you were saying, yeah, over 20 years in the renewable space. And like Teresa, my focus initially was on the wind side. Like Teresa, I worked in Airtricity from the early 2000s when the comp- when that company um, was really kind of pushing the boundaries about what was achievable in, in the wind sector here in Ireland. A little bit like... The biomethane industry the you know the industry was very immature like biomethane there was only a handful of actual real projects um, kind of active in the market and there was really ambitious um people in the sector but a huge amount to do to get to the point we're at today but it was done you know the pioneers in the sector really pushed and mobilized to deliver what we've seen on the wind sector you know year to date i think it's about 36 percent of the power Demand in the country has been has been satisfied by renewables. So, you know, there's every reason the same can be done on the on the green gas and the renewable gas side. And um, kind of on reflection, I guess was there's some big differences between the wind sector 20 years ago and the biomethane sector today. I think firstly, we've seen what other countries can do. You know, it's really impressive to hear what Christian said about the Danish experience, how they've managed to achieve 40% green gas in their network. And the other big difference is the targets that have been set by government. Yeah, the government has set yeah, really, really ambitious targets, the 5.7 terawatt hours that's been mentioned. And I think, you know, in the for the rest of this decade, that acts as a effectively a north star for the policymakers, for the asset owners and investors like Teresa and our partners, for the lenders, the funders, for companies like us as service providers and traders. It provides that, I guess, catalyst for, for mobilizing. To really deliver and drive this sector, this industry. I thought it might be useful just to touch on an interesting transaction in the space we worked on last year at ElectroRoute. We worked with a large international transport company who was looking at how to decarbonise their road transport activities here in the Irish market. They had invested in a number of um, renewable-fueled haulage trucks and they came to us. So, you know, in the medium term, they'd love to be able to procure and they intend to procure indigenous Irish by methane, but that supply wasn't there today. So we worked with them on an innovative solution to import green gas from continental Europe across a number of different national borders and bring it into the Irish market in order to fuel their, their trucks. We worked very closely with the, with the GNI team and regulatory authorities across all the different um, regions of this gas transported. And, you know, I guess for us, that's not the long term goal for us. Why we were really excited about this transaction was that it demonstrated a real demand on the island of Ireland for, for green gas. And it shows that you know, with, with the right conditions, we can deliver um, that green gas because it is needed. There is that demand here. Um, I guess you know the the policy, the the targets of five point seven terawatt hours. they're you know, it's very ambitious. We're halfway through the the decade already, and we still haven't seen the um, the obligation details. There's no clarity on exactly what what structures we put in place by the state to support and encourage this investment. I think corporates will have a big part to play, and we're seeing companies like this transport company. And other big energy users like data centers, pharmaceutical companies, looking for uh, looking for sources of green gas. So you know, I think that demand is there, but really it needs a lot more joined up thinking by all the policymakers to really really get the the economy, um, the biomethane economy going.
0: Thanks so much, Kiva. Joined up thinking. I think they need to teach that in school or something. We need a bit more of that. Um, David, we'll come to you. Um, last but by no means least, um, David Kelly is the director of customer and business development at GNI. Um, he, David has over 20 years of executive level experience in both the private and public sectors. And prior to his current role, he was the group head of customer operations and public affairs for Urvia. Um, David, do you want to kind of come in about what GNI has been working on um, since after hearing everybody else's reflections?
6: Yeah. I look- Look, just to say really thank you to everybody that's here in person, but also to those of you that are connecting virtually. Uh, you're very welcome as well. Um, I'll be brief. Um, just very, just two things I want to say, if I can. Um, firstly, about the role of gas today. And, and you alluded to it earlier, Teresa, uh, like Gas is really critical to Ireland's economy today. Um, and that's going to continue in, into the medium and long term. Um, to put it in context, there's an awful lot of noise about gas and domestic use. 65% of the gas we use today in the Republic is used in power generation. Um, just under 30% of the gas we use today is in commercial enterprise. So so there's a very small percentage used in domestic use, but it's still 40% of heating. So it's, it's a really, really important vector today. And right now we're largely 80% dependent on the UK uh, for, for that gas, for that commodity. So we have a problem. And the field, the indigenous gas field, Korrib, has probably less than ten years of 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 life expectancy, um, if you can use that term, with a, a gas field in mind. So, having a source of indigenous secure gas that's this side of the pond is really important for us. So, biomethane is 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 potentially a very very good replacement for any other indigenous gas that that may fall off in time. Um, as Christian said, we've been looking at this for a number of years, um, uh, and what is heartening to see frankly, is the level of interest and demand from the market, despite the policy. And what I mean by and is that I'm not in any way trying to to, uh, cast shade on our policymakers, but it's been a long time coming. Um, So what's happening now and what we're seeing now around biomethane is that entities are getting ahead of the policy. They're engaging, they're contracting, they're building. There's big foreign investment coming into the market now. And it's almost despite the fact that we're still debating and discussing where the biomethane should be used, which is good and it's not good. Um, So what what I'll say is that G and I uh, were very keen to see the advent of a, a really buoyant renewable gas sector in Ireland, frankly, because it's our vision and purpose to convert what we do today, which is transport natural gas to renewable and ideally zero carbon gases. We've done that before, by the way. So so you may not be aware, but but GNI is 50 years old actually next year. And we transported town gas right up into the mid 80s. Um, gas derived from coal. And there was a huge conversion program that took place in the 80s. A lot of the guys and girls that were involved in that, by the way, are still in the company, which is interesting. Um, but we need to now convert from natural gas to biomethane and ultimately hydrogen and that's something that's really really important to our company so i'll leave it at that and for the for well do the you way. want to
0: follow up with that and tell us what do you think are the main obstacles to that what, what are the big hurdles that you see ahead of you well
6: for biomethane there are no obstacles there are no hurdles today to inject it and we're injecting tiny amounts today uh, we injected 70 gigawatts of, of biomethane into the grid last year uh, which you know in the context of 57 terawatts it's it's very very small so so you know, is there any reason why we couldn't get to 5.7 terawatts by 2030 with what's in place today? No, there isn't, actually. Uh, and if I look at the, the four entities that have contracted now to connect AD plants directly into the grid, and, and they're under construction right now, they're getting ahead. They're, they're moving on. There's players, and I'll, I'll call out one. I don't mean to plug anybody, but I'll call out one who was in the media last week, Neffin Energy. Uh, they've established Neffin Renewable Gas. It's, it's headquartered in Tip. Uh, it was opened by the Minister for Enterprise, Simon Covey last week. Uh, they're building 30 plants. They have six going into planning this month. Um, that is Canadian pension fund investment. It's half a billion euro of investment in a sector that doesn't exist really in Ireland today of note. So that's really heartening. And that's why I'm optimistic when you see players like that. And there's others. There's lots of other players that are, that are experienced in other jurisdictions starting to invest in the country. We want to support them. We want to work with them. And then ultimately, we want to try and bring the farming community and the agriculture community and the waste community along with us, because we're all, I guess, learning on the job to somewhat. And we're learning from the likes of Christian and, and what, what uh, Denmark are the rock stars in this sector. What they've achieved in the last 10 years is frankly remarkable.
0: And every time you read it, it was like 30%, 34%, 40% today. I was like, would you just slow down so we can catch up with you? Um, does anybody want to come back on anything that you've heard from the other speakers there? I have a good few questions, but you might want to reflect on some. I
2: think it's interesting what both uh, J.J. and uh, David said in terms of security of supply, because uh, we, we face sort of the same issue in Denmark with uh, only having uh, two entry points basically for for our gas and, you know, consumption. And that's really where biogas or biomethane plays a huge role because more entry points means better security of supply. So
0: I know because you kind of weep here in Quiva saying you have to ship um biogas from Europe and all the hoops you have to jump through to do that when you know. We when the potential such is potential here on
5: the ground, absolutely. And you know, it's clear there is that potential from statistics that JJ shared, and you know, it's untapped at the moment, and, and I think a big push you know, is needed across across the industry from everyone in this room and policymakers to make that happen.
3: Just a comment I would make, because there's been a lot of, you know, comparison to you know, everybody. There's a lot of people very proud about, you know, the, the wind energy heritage here in Ireland and, and genuinely punching above our weight on a global scale. And then as a result, the opportunity uh, for our Irish biomethane, I, I would say from an investment perspective, the technology itself is proven, AD, proven. It is proven. But the actual you know, operations of the plants themselves, they are more complex to your wind energy project. Wind energy and solar energy resources fee is free. Here, feedstock is absolutely critical. How you, you know, procure that feedstock is absolutely essential and the security around that. And I think there's a lot of lessons learned that we can take uh, from, from Denmark in that regard. I heard someone describe biomethane as a mechanical cow, and I think it's a really good way to think about it. You have to be really careful about the feedstock composition and what goes into your mechanical cow, because it can really vary and impact your gas yield. So the variables in a biomethane investment uh, project, many more variables than what we had traditionally in your wind and solar space. That's not a bad thing necessarily. I think what is really important though is you know making sure that you're working with experienced partners who've been through that journey before because at the end of the day, you know, ultimately the investors are looking for solid returns, they want to see contracted cash flows. Uh, what you're basically seeing is the corporates. Um, some of the folks that Electroloot have worked with, they're in the absence of fixed feed-in tariffs and you know, et cetera, et cetera they're procuring the gas directly on long-term contracts because they see it as existential to their business model, as in, we need to have a secure source of gas and it needs to be green because if not, um, you know, what's the alternative? There may be carbon penalties, etc. So there's a lot more variables. And I think as Ireland develops its, its biomethane industry with a huge advantage, given our feedstock position, just making sure that we think through that, working with experienced partners to Accelerate and not learn the lessons that others have learned 10 or so years ago,
0: I could mm. certainly a,
3: a comment that I would make.
0: Yeah, I know. So instead of bemoaning the fact that we're late to the party, let's just learn from all the mistakes. That let's let's
3: catch up and run fast because we have a huge advantage here.
0: Um, well, actually, a question that kind of t- is around the economics of the biomethane. Um, it's from John Fitzgerald, co-chair of the IEA e- Economists. Um for example, how much would it cost in terms of tons of carbon dioxide avoided, and how much carbon dioxide would it displace if the target was reached by 2030? Does anyone have those numbers to their top of their head?
6: Yeah, John Fisher sure had to ask that, didn't it? specific
0: um, about the tons.
6: Yeah, we'll have to revert to him with the specifics on it because it varies. It depends on where the the source of the the uh, the feedstock is is coming from. Will determine the, the level of carbon offset that there is um so yeah that's probably the best way to describe that i wouldn't dare give a give a firm answer to an economist on that
0: and is that part of the kind of hesitancy is just those kind of unintended consequences or you know um use land use or resources not being used in the in the most efficient manner you know that we don't do it efficiently actually
3: well i guess it triggered a comment in my mind which is i think you know you know, hats off to Gas Network Ireland in this regard, because they're connected into Denmark, they're bringing folks to Germany, there's a real desire, I can certainly see it from a a GNI perspective to make sure that as this industry gets off the ground, it's connected into the folks who are ahead so that we can learn as much as possible. I think in relation to some of those comments that you made, uh, data and collecting it is really important. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were visiting a A biogas site in Belgium, and you open, they have the fridge and they have like the samples of all of the various different feedstock that came in on this date, they need to keep it for six months, so that they actually can verify where it came from what it is, because actually all of that data on the ingredients. Redetermine the price that you're going to get paid at the end of the day, Um, because if it's biomethane from manure relative to biomethane from food waste, the price that someone's going to pay for that is actually going to be different. So there's a huge amount of, you know, uh, need for proper process and procedure around tracking every ingredient that goes into
0: that mechanical cow. Um, we have another question from David Maxwell. Um, future biogas. Uh, Ireland has a lot of promise for biomethane from grasses. Do you think this could be combined with carbon capture to create net negative gas? JJ, that might be for you. Is it?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, carbon capture—it's not an area that I'm, uh, you know, I have uh, much uh, knowledge on. But uh, there's obviously technologies there. But the the, the real issue with uh, grass is that if if the forages and I mentioned red clover, if you're producing the forages without any artificial nitrogen, basically, you know, you're you're in carbon neutral uh, territory. And actually, as long as we're purchasing um, conventional fertiliser, as long as the, the Ireland, we don't have any manufacturing facilities anymore, uh, but as long as we're importing conventional fertiliser, the ability to use the the uh, as a biofertilizer replacement again has uh, uh, positive uh, uh, benefits to the to the overall uh, overall carbon balance.
0: Um, I might open it to the people in the room. Do you have a question? Do will you um, stand up and give us um, in your best voice, please, because we don't have a moving mic. No, we don't have a roving mic here,
4: just for me, and I'll, I'll relay it down to the back of the room. Hello, thank you much. So I'm Ferdinand Mack tomorrow, and I co chair the Cloud and Energy Group here at the Institute. of my day job, I work in the Navy Investment Bank. And uh, my question is really well on the sector and whether, whether and if and when it will take off, because we've got the finance question, we have the feedstock question, the offtake, the gas transportation system, and of course, the policy question. And we, uh, Repower EU has a 35 BCM target, which is ten a factor of 10 times. We've got the 5.7 target here, which translates to something like 150 to 200 plants. And notwithstanding the welcome announcement from and David, I'm just wondering: are all the ingredients, technology, feedstock,
6: offtake? Gas and policy ready for this uh, sector to take off in Ireland. Thank you.
0: Very much. So, just before you say that, just for anyone um, listening at home on their computer, yeah, what is what does it take for it to take off? Of all, if all the different factors are in place, what is going to be the catalyst? I don't want to say that lights the fire because that sounds terrible when it comes to gas. But what's going to um, what's going to kick this off sir, in a big way?
6: I can kick it off this Tuesday. Awful, awful segue there.
0: But, uh,
6: yeah, on fire and all that. Uh, like in short, 5.7 terawatts we feel is very achievable. I'm going to say that now. Uh, we published, uh, Paul Rick and the team published a biomethane energy report in September last year. Uh, I think you probably got a copy. Um, That we went to the market. It was a pretty blunt instrument. We asked anybody that was ever interested in building a plant, are you still interested in building a plant? Where are you at planning? what's your feedstock, what's the scale of plant, and roughly where is it going to be? And we got a massive response. As you as you know, we, we had a response from nearly 200 uh, projects uh, all over the country, bar one county. Uh, I won't call out the county for fear that the, I'll, I'll get a backlash, but nonetheless, it was very national. Um, and take it that it was a blunt instrument, take it that it's people saying, this is what we hope to do, it's not what we will do. Uh, it came to 14.8 terawatts. So, so that's a blunt instrument. I'll say it for the third time, um, but ultimately what we're seeing is a level of, of traction and appetite that 5.7 we think is very achievable, assuming that you have your funding, which is a big if, but certainly the early movers are largely equity funded, we find, um, they're not looking for project finance, we find, but certainly it does need a real level of certainty from government and what was perhaps a little disappointing about strategy when it was published. And if you read the the excellent uh, article from Stephen Robb in today's Farmer's Journal, he gives a really good overview of, of key feedback from key audiences. There's a general disappointment okay. that, why didn't the government provide more certainty for investors and developers, uh, like Christian's government did in 2012? Uh, like they're doing again this year with, yeah. with subsidy support. So my sense is absolutely is an appetite. Yes, there's funding to get us going on this big big time. But what we really need is signals from policy. Uh, and I think that that's welcome. And it's coming, I think, is my sense.
0: Any other questions from the room? Yes, Boric.
7: There one for uh, JJ. I thought JJ looked, it's a very in- energy- Sorry, Boric, will
0: you just say who you are for other people? I'm in Gas,
7: Networks, Ireland. It's very energy intensive room here as well in terms of participants, but maybe to give some of us who wouldn't have a full understanding of the agricultural implications, what does it mean in reality for the the feedstock providers, the farmers, like what are they going to have to invest in and what are they, how are they, and how quickly can they adapt? Uh, to providing feedstock
4: or quite a mm-hmm. well, well, just- um,
0: Sorry, Jay, I'm sorry for pausing now, but just in case anyone didn't hear on Zoom, that's just, what what is in it for farmers and how is it going to work for them?
4: Okay, well, just, we talked about feedstock supply there. As part of our um, uh, research, we did an expression, simple expression of interest a couple of years ago uh, in the local paper. We need about 60 hectares to uh, provide the forages for the for the plant. And uh, we were looking for it within 10 kilometers of range because obviously, you know, transport of uh, materials are, uh, you know, 10 kilometers is, is OK, but you don't want to be going 50 kilometers. But we're over, oversubscribed by a factory 12 in terms of the area to be provided. So that would reflect on, you know, the research to show the potential resource resource that's there in terms of. Uh, what farmers would have to do it depends on the big plants will probably have the storage at, at, at the plants so the forages would be produced and transported uh, you would have situations maybe w- whereby also the, the the slurry would be provided at the plant I think it'll be different you know th- there'll probably be different um, uh, designs or different approaches but in terms of the feedstock you're producing the same crop as you're producing at the moment. So the machinery, the knowledge, you know, all that is already there. In the past, we looked at things like Miscanthus, you know, a new crop, uh, how do you handle it? How do you harvest it? N- nothing was in place. And uh, that didn't turn out, you know, as uh, you know, that, that overall project or overall result for that, you know, wasn't great. But um, uh, uh, I have, uh, I'm fairly confident that, you know, farmers will step up to the mark, contractors, they have, you know, this, it's the same type of equipment, so you know, it's it's already in, in, in you know, ingrained in, in 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 the industry.
0: Can I ask, um, what's the experience of Danish farmers when it comes to AD?
2: Uh I'm probably not the best one to answer okay. that question. Um, are yeah, they happy? <laughs> they are happy, yeah, but it, it's, uh, I think the agricultural sector in Denmark is a little bit different in, than it is in 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 uh, in, uh, in Ireland, but. As I mentioned when uh, when we when the uh, when the subsidy scheme started back in in 2012, uh, there was an uh, there was there was incentives for the farmers to to really get this going so it played a huge, uh, huge role so. I mean, I haven't asked them lately, but I'm pretty sure they're heavy.
0: Okay. And in the absence of those kind of supports here, it's kind of slowing progress. Is that what you're saying, David?
6: Yeah, I, th- I think what, what we are seeing, though, is um, some of the developers that are getting ahead of policy are are signing 15-year feedstock deals with farmers now uh, and with co-ops now. Um, so, so you know, that the, there is a, a really decent income stream available for farmers today um they obviously get them as jj mentioned but the the, the adjusted, uh, by by way of um the circular uh, response but there's other things that that we would love them to consider which is potentially getting involved directly becoming ad developers directly uh, and that's what i think the strategy is looking to to address as well so so there's a real ownership within the agriculture community for this so a co-op kind of absolutely going and back and it's, to our co-op. it's starting to emerge in, in pockets around the country but it's it's been slow um there's a lot of other things on their minds
0: but it sounds like that's not kind of the area that you're thinking you're thinking bigger than that are you
3: no no and actually i i should have mentioned our partners we 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 already have um a biomethane business that's active in ireland cycle zero um and you know it's certainly looking at um, you know the smaller kind of farms skid mounted uh, you know uh, technology so it's a very cost effective way to unlock the, the smaller farms and signing up um, with farmers 15 year agreements for feedstock and uh, you know I, I'm a farmer's daughter from the west of Ireland so I have a, a, a perspective on how farmers think Um, and you know there's a huge education that's required here I mean there's been some stuff in the the press i'm sure we've all seen it where you know people can react to something that's new and there's a huge education required because the opportunity for someone to have an income stream mm. from you know agricultural waste if you if that is explained to a farmer in the right way mm. they're all very commercially minded and i think right. it's it's you know down through the years in creva you've seen it as well you know the farmers that had wind turbines on their land they're set up for life. They have a steady income coming in annually for the next 25, 30 years. The same opportunity um, exists here as it relates to bringing the farming community along. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, it, it, it's a win-win situation if it's done the right way.
0: Any other questions in the room? Yes. Uh,
7: Brian Kennedy, I uh, lead the plant origination business for electrums. So i work working on some on on the development of our strategy around this area. Um, Got a question, just really around the policy, uh, government policy, particularly around data centers and large energy users. I, I would characterize that as confused and conflicted at best. Um, and what I'm wondering though is, on one hand, David, you're saying that you know you're you're seeing some some movement of that. 2030 is tomorrow in energy terms and in infrastructure terms. First question is, do you see government policy catching up quick enough? Because ultimately. I think it's far to say data centers are seen as the stimulus uh, and maybe large farming businesses as the stimulus for this economy um, yeah, over the next maybe three to five years. Maybe just follow-up question to it, uh, what's the what's the business plan when you go in and you're and you're, and you're spending you know, all the money you have on on, on, on planning and, and securing feedstock? Is it in the hope uh, uh and expectation that government policy will catch up with an incentive scheme? Uh, or indeed is, is data
0: centers and private businesses uh, the going forward the, the medium term. So um um is policy going to move fast enough and what's the business plan?
6: Okay, a uh, nice, easy one. Um the data center debate is very controversial. Uh you know that it's it's been played out in the media. On one hand, uh the economy, this economy is built a lot of it on the tech sector. Um those big investors have publicly said they want their data beside their people. Um, They're big investors and they invest all over the world. So that's one perspective. On the other hand, we have a serious emissions problem to sort. Uh, So that's the dilemma. And the same is happening, by the way, with regard to the airport expansion, which is also playing out at the moment as well. Um, Both very controversial, both a real challenge because there isn't an easy solution. if, if, if I was to say there's gonna be an easy, quick solution to it, I'd be lying to you. We've been engaged in those discussions for getting on for 20 months. Uh, we're, we're a very small player in a very rich debate, um, but there's one thing for sure, and it's not, I, I don't want to single out data centers, um, gas users, high energy users, large energy users. Uh, we, we're very focused by the way on our top 300 large energy user community. These aren't data centers, in fact, they're not at all. They're actually large, high-heat industries, drying businesses, food businesses, pharmaceutical businesses, all big job creators around the country. They're desperately looking to decarbonize their comp- their, their businesses and they can't electrify. So so we see that sector. Of course, the data centers are, are part of that, if you like, large energy user base. But that existing customer base is, is a really key focus for us. And we're engaging with them directly about the art of the possible on renewable gas so i'm not i'm not uh, saying there's an so easy do you quick think solution policy needs
0: to support those industries first and then you know you can stick a thought panel on your data center so you do that way
6: if i was a politician katrina which i'm absolutely not never will be uh jobs are really important for every economy uh i personally like the idea that ireland is putting its best foot forward to create as many jobs for this economy i hate the idea of Work that we can do exceptionally well going to other jurisdictions because we're dithering. That's my sense of it. Um, so I do believe we should be looking after the existing customers, and I, I spend most of my time looking after our seven hundred twenty-five thousand customers today. It's, it's the biggest part of my job today. But I'm really conscious of those high heat users that would that are looking to decarbonize and just can't with the vectors available to them on electrification.
0: And Teresa, do you want to come in with your business plan? So
3: at the end of the day, it's all about the revenue line, right? And that's where I think government policy can just accelerate. Yes, there are corporates in a probably fragmented way signing up today, right? Um, But it's, you know, unless there's a real strong signal from government, we're, we're definitely not going to get there on time. So for you to invest capital, and, and some people are willing to take the development risk. Some people want to come in when it's shovel ready, classic infrastructure investors like you know the part of the business I represent ideally you're coming in when your planning is secured and you kind of know what the roadmap looks like including that route to market but people will be able to and be willing to spend money uh uh, earlier stage in the development process if it's very clear who your customer is going to be and you have a good sense of what they're going to pay but if it's like will it will it be will it be data center over here or will it be you know road haulier over here like that just creates just you know Lack of, you know, a lot of barriers to to kind of moving fast. So I guess you know your earlier comment. It's yeah. What's what's the revenue line, and if you're clear on that, well, you know, I think I think there would be a massive pivot in terms of how quickly we're um, approaching this agenda.
0: And um, another question has come here in from Naomi Bloomline from the Institute of Public Administration, who's curious if there are any observations or tips um, from the Danish experience on overcoming vested interests and in lobbying from the fossil fuel industry
2: sure i mean um i think it's kind of similar to the wind adventure in denmark uh, you know years back and um, there's always going to be doubters and there's always going to be people trying to push a different agenda but in denmark like ireland there's an, an optimism and a, a can do attitude towards uh, towards uh, uh, the green transition so i think that's that's probably pushing the agenda even more than than um than this and I think it's about everybody politicians, uh, TSO investors, uh, farmers, and so on, um, you know, cooperating in uh, in whatever capacity they can. Um,
0: yeah, so keep on keeping on, kind of thing,
2: probably. Yeah, yeah, I think. And I'm what we're doing today is great, and I think what you know, as I talked about uh, previously, the work GNI has done is uh, it's really my perspective uh, pushing the agenda in a good way.
0: I mean it's kind of hard to argue with a no-brainer in a way when it's ticking so many boxes it's just I suppose it's it's what are the next steps forward. Um, Another question for Denmark sorry now you're getting you have to go deep into stuff about energy crops. Um, This is from Shane Doherty who says that Denmark is phasing out the use of energy crops for biomethane production. Um, Why is this and should Ireland continue to follow a grass-based feedstock supply?
2: Um, I mean I wouldn't uh... Touch upon what you should do in Ireland and what shouldn't do, um, but yeah, we're facing it out in Denmark. I think, I think right now it's probably around ten percent or something like that. In the future, the the, the limit will be five, six, or seven percent, something like that. Um, and and in Denmark, the, the predominant biomass is uh, is manure, and it will be in the future, even though there's other stuff such as food waste and, and municipal waste that will play play a part as well.
0: And is that some of the hesitancy in Ireland is just this kind of idea of um like food security and um land use you know we are we have huge commitments in terms of rewilding and you know changing our agricultural practices and locking ourselves into still growing grass is something that we're actually trying to move away from or not
4: well uh, look at i think the the actual quantities you know the land area needed for the in the irish context are relatively small and uh, we have a lot of land uh, producing approximately half of what it could produce. So if that was really managed correctly, I don't think you would, you would have very little impact on um, things like biodiversity uh, and you could produce it sustainably. And red clover is definitely left definitely the crop. Just in Denmark, I've, I, 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 am I right in saying that the animals tend to be in all year round and you use a lot of straw, you have a lot of tillage, so you, use, you use a lot of straw for bedding, so you have a lot of manure uh we tend to have animals in for relatively short periods uh and we have slurry systems so um slightly different uh uh, uh uh potential feedstock availability but um ireland is predominantly grassland so i think you know when you look at the actual quant the, the percentage of the land area that we're looking at it's it's relatively small relatively small
0: to go ahead uh
7: brandon my um, on Board of the Institute, um, first of all, all well, 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 the speakers. I well, thought fantastic. Um, my question is just, I'm not an expert on the topic, um, but from an overall policy point of view in Ireland, uh, be interested in uh, the panels or anybody on the panel view on the interaction between the policy with respect to gas and um, by methane and policy with respect to electrification. So, I hear a lot about everything with electrification, heat pumps, better deployment of, of resources that have to, to deal with heating the houses. Uh, et cetera. David may have alluded to some of this earlier comment about how a might be best involved, but is there, a, from your perspective, the right policy framework in place to balance the agenda between the electrification side and the gas side?
0: So the, to paraphrase, what's, how do we reconcile putting a plug on everything with the fact that you can't put a plug on everything? Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, so how do we reconcile those? Who'd like to take that?
6: I can have a go, uh, if you like, Brian. Um, f- firstly, there isn't an either or. Um, there's no doubt about it. The electrification, uh, I'm going to say, lobby. Just the electrification lobby has been in situ for a number of decades, and I've made a lot of sense and I've made a lot of progress. Um, for us to get to net zero, it needs every technology to be considered, and it needs to be seeing that there's benefits for renewable wind, solar. We need backup for when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining, that's renewable. Uh, And we need a very urgent phase out of fossil. Um, And there's lots of solutions to achieve all of that. Um, And I think the more we debate about one is better than the other the less we'll achieve our targets, is my read of it. Um, and I think it's improving, by the way. So what we're talking about here is an integrated energy system. And there's more integration now than there was even two years ago in terms of debate, discourse, discussion. I see Jag in the, in the room here from ESB. We are working very well together now um, because we have to coexist. And and you know what I said earlier about that 65% of Ireland's gas is used in power generation, and that will continue to grow because electricity is going to continue to grow. Uh, I think that that wasn't understood, frankly, that even just that message, how important electricity is. But in the total energy mix, oil is still the dominant vector in Ireland today, mm. it's still 50% of primary energy in Ireland. but gas is only 30% of Ireland's total energy. So all of that debate in the round, integrated energy system needing to evolve. I think there's a much more mature debate taking place now and there's less of the finger pointing going on and you know this is good and this isn't so good my sense
0: less yeah. of the either or and more we needed it we need yeah. everything yeah.
3: yeah well it's an, another stat um but it's from germany so 85 percent of the power in the german market is molecules so it's like like the the, the molecule does not get enough of, of attention and we we need to have green molecules in order to achieve our our net zero targets you you can't electrify everything the production of chemicals the production of materials like decarbonizing the world of made things you look around the room the electron has gotten all the attention there is so much more carbon embedded in our daily lives materials chemicals what heats this room etc we talked about gas I, i think it's just simply been overlooked perhaps because the policy signals on the electrification side were much clearer and they have been for decades um also i think just the world of industry tends to be inherently fragmented so the investment opportunity is is kind of you know it's it's you know a lot of investors they want to gravitate towards the big large transactions because a lot of infra funds now are you know 15 20 billion dollars um we're actually very much focused on the mid market where you're looking for smaller investment opportunities so I, I kind of feel there's been a, a reason why it has been the way it is, but it is it is definitely changing because I think people have switched on to the need to sort of broaden it outside of, of
0: electrification. Do you see that, Guiva? Do you see that kind of um, it, it been less about putting a plug on everything and about actually um, decarbonizing all our energy?
5: Absolutely. It's going to be a blend. And, you know, we also have hydrogen on the horizon as well, which, you know, as as that technology develops and becomes commercialized, That'll also bring a different dimension, but it's not going to be possible to electrify everything, but it is a really key component of the decarbonisation journey. But there's simply some processes that can't be electrified that are going to require longer term um, solutions around green gas.
0: And do you think there's a prioritisation that's going to happen with that, like where those things are going to be just top of the list, knock them off, take, get rid of your 5%, 10%, that
6: kind of thing? Yeah, no, there is. And um, in fact, there's a... I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, but there there is a hydrogen ladder has been published. Michael
0: Liebrecht.
6: Liebrecht, yeah. yeah. Well, actually,
0: yeah. This, this question has come in from Michael Cole, who's an IEA member, saying, "Will hydrogen achieve a role anytime soon in the GNI portfolio?" I, 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 it's I, going I, to be like fusion. Fifty years, we're still waiting for.
6: No, it won't be fifty, 50 years. Um, but no, but what what Lieber talks about is the smart use of hydrogen because it is a scarce resource. Certainly, for now, um, and we want green hydrogen. We want hydrogen derived from electrolysis or and, and uh, renewable hydrogen, if that makes sense. Uh, not blue hydrogen, where it's you know it comes about from natural gas and carbon capture and storage and so on. That's Ireland government policy. Green hydrogen is good, um, but the uses of it, and it's a bit like your your B or rating in your home. You've got A to G, and you know well down. The, the, the list of priorities would be domestic use, for example. It just wouldn't make sense. But there are areas, typically, we don't have a lot of them, by the way, in Ireland, like very complex petrochemical processes, um, really high heat industries, Northern Germany industry, steel industries. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of that in Ireland, um, but they would be the entities that would benefit from scale hydrogen the quicker. Um, but in terms of the pecking and order and electrification, you know, we certainly should strive to get electrification everywhere we possibly can, because it is cleaner. But we've got to absolutely look at the sources of that. There is no point in us, you know, prolonging a coal fired power station, which we're not, um, to derive electricity and then saying, isn't it great that we're electrifying everything? It's got to be coming from wind, solar, and then ultimately from green hydrogen. Is so that back up.
0: Um, so I'm just kind of conscious that we've got about five minutes left. Um, I like asking this question, but cause it's kind of fanciful thinking, but if you were to come back in 10 years time to us, you can all think about this. What, what do you think we will have done and, or like, what will be the things that we'll have achieved that you'll say, Oh, that was a good move. That was a good move. That was a good move.
2: Um, I'll hope he'll be here sooner than in 10 years, first of all.
0: Um, well, look, I'm serious. By 2030, yeah, right. where will we right. be at? Um,
2: at five point seven, maybe more. Hopefully, more. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see the next few years whether, you know, uh, whether there'll be specific, uh, um, support schemes and specific initiatives from from politicians to 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 drive the effort uh, for developing biomethane. Um, How about you, Jason? What do you think? Oh,
3: wouldn't it be great if our green molecule industry, so green gas, green hydrogen, was. As big as, if not bigger than, our wind energy industry today. That that would be my hope, and it's possible, right? We know how to do it, so that would be my ambition and hope. Great, JJ, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I, I know it's been mentioned that there are plants with of plan mission and ready to 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 go, but there is a you know a lead in time to build these plants, and six you know 2030 uh, uh, is going to come around very soon. So I think if we do achieve the five terawatt per target, it will be a great will be a great achievement. And then move forward in the next decade.
5: Yeah, yeah, Viva? Yeah, likewise. I think you know hitting that five point seven terawatt hour target by twenty thirty is key, but that's only the start of the ambition. You know, the, the, there's huge scope beyond that. And I think, as Teresa said, hopefully in six years' time and ten years' time, we'll have you know a thriving economy, all focused on the bio methane with jobs. You know, stimulating the the economy in in rural Ireland um providing new revenue streams for agricultural use. So yeah, huge, huge potential. And hopefully in six years' time, what we'll be 25, 30 years in the sector at that point, hopefully we'll have a really <laughs> hopefully we'll, you know, we'll be able to look back with pride on the journey Ireland has taken from the from from wind into solar and onwards into green gas. How about you, David?
6: Yeah, look I won't I won't repeat what everyone said about the 5.7. It's 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 very doable. We're going to do it. Um the The one that I'm probably keenest on, if I look six years ahead, is that Ireland is still seen as the destination of choice for large investment in tech, in pharmaceuticals, in the big FDI investors that are coming here. Uh, There was a recent announcement that IBM made about a a quantum data center in Germany, uh, and they didn't even consider Ireland for it. And they, they said that publicly. And that's not good enough. Is
0: that because of our energy? They
6: It was a number of reasons, but energy security was a key one. And, um, you know, I, I I think we have done a remarkably amazing job around FDI. And I'd like for that to continue. So by 2030, I'd like for the people, if there's any doubts out there, I'd like for them to remember that this economy is still built on the best foundations of our educated workforce, our tax system. Our security system, our energy security as well. So that's my sense. That, that's looking out in.
0: And in 10 years' time, we won't be having discussions about it because it'll be an established indigenous industry sure. that's surviving and thriving and hopefully um, decarbonizing at the same time. Does anyone have any other questions from the floor just before? Yes, go ahead. Uh, I'm Brad,
7: with BellGas. We uh, supply um, renewable gas currently to our different uses. So we're looking at the interim target of one terawatt hour by next year as well as 5.7. And you look at... To develop a plant, you need feedstock, grid connection, planning (laughs) permission, and you need your off take. Preferably, if we're copying wind, 10 or 15 years of a fixed price to get built. So, should we not call out the government strategy for failing to provide that currently? And probably the crucial ingredient we need in order to get plants built in Ireland.
0: So, do you think government is failing to kind of give us the security that we need in order to do what we actually are setting out to do?
6: They need to do it is a little quicker. It's not out it. Uh, we we we've we've been discussing this too long, and I think everybody agrees. One thing I will say, um, and and I've been quoted, and I'll say it. I'll say it as as gently as I possibly can. If there was one one positive, and it's it's a very small positive, one positive that's come out of the Russia Ukraine situation is a much better understanding of the energy system. And indeed, we've all become, as a, as a continent, less dependent on Russian gas. Um, and the flows, in fact, we haven't yeah. talked about it today, but Denmark's a massive exporter now of gas into Germany and into Sweden, uh, from recollection. But what came out of that, that repower EU thinking that 10% of gas demand being biomethane by 2030, that's across the entire continent. Uh, our government, because of our connection to a third country in the UK, managed to get a, a form of derogation. Um, and, but the 5.7 terawatts still represents 10%. That's still the target. I, I personally feel that we need to stop discussing it and get on and deliver it. And I do think that's coming. That's my sense is, is there's more urgency now than there was six months ago.
0: Well, let's draw this discussion to a close Then, if we'll stop talking about it and just get on with it. Um, thank you so much for all your insights. Big warm round of applause, please, for all our... <laughs> I think, um, you know, I like the Nelson Mandela quote, when something seems daunting, it always seems impossible until it's done. And I kind of feel like in a couple of years' time, we might be looking back on discussions like this and going... Oh, yeah we did it we got there in the end uh, despite despite um delays and dilly-dallying um so um thank you to everyone for attending thank you for your attention and your engagement for those in line um, thank you for tuning in and um, for those in the room you're allowed to um, come downstairs for a reception for those at home you'll have to just go make yourself a cup of tea um but I hope that I hope we won't be having this discussion again I hope we'll just be cracking on with it um so um go have at this salon before. This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, sharing ideas, shaping policy.